Welcome. You guys can come back in and find a seat. We're going to jump right into the message. We have limited time, and so I want to try and capitalize on that. Society views faith as an individual thing. They view faith as just it's a private matter between you and God, and to some degree that's true in that faith is an individual decision that you have to make on your own with you and God. But biblically speaking, faith is much less of a me thing, and it's much more of a we thing. God designed faith to be walked out in relationships. He designed it to be walked out in community. You don't have to answer this question out loud, but if I were to ask you, what was the first crisis that you can think of in the Bible? Most people would probably think of when sin entered the picture, when man fell and when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. But there's actually a point before that in Scripture that I consider to be the first crisis in the Bible, and that's when God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good. Up until that point, every single thing that God had said was it was good. God would create, and then he stepped back and said it was good until we got to Genesis 2.18 when God stepped back and said, it's not good. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We skip down to verse 31 of Genesis 1. It says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the pattern that we see in the first chapter of Genesis is God creates Then God steps back and the Bible says God saw that it was good. God creates, then he steps back and sees that it's good. He creates, he steps back, he sees it's good. He creates and then he steps back and he sees that it's very good. Then we get to chapter 2 of Genesis. And chapter 2 of Genesis is the same story that was told in Genesis 1, except for in Genesis 2 it's told from a more zoomed-in perspective. Genesis 1 is like zoomed out. Genesis 1 is zoomed in, and we get to see a lot more detail and specifics on what happened in the creation story. In Genesis 2, we find out that God created a man named Adam. He was the first human being that was made, and he was a man. And then eventually, God makes a woman, and her name is Eve. But there was a period of time before God made Eve that Adam was alone. And I use the word alone because God used the word alone, but really the truth is Adam wasn't alone because he had God and he had animals that he was with. But when God says that Adam was alone, what he means is he didn't have any human companion at all. There was no human for, for Adam to have relationship with. He was alone in terms of human companionship. And it was that condition in Genesis 2 that Adam was in that prompted God to say, It's not good for the first time. It's not good for man to be alone. And when Moses wrote this, it was intended to jar us and to draw your attention to it because just when you get settled into this pattern of God creating and it being good and God creating and it being good and God created and and it being good, you fall into that pattern and then God steps back and says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So God did something about it, and I want to read that account to you. This is Genesis 2, we're starting in verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each creature, that was its name. So Adam gave, gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the place, the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and, said, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. This portion of Scripture has implications for relationships between men and women. It has implications for marriage relationships, but even more fundamentally than that, it has implications for our need for relationships as people. It has implications for us needing relationships. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to be isolated. We were designed by God for community. You were created for community. Kerry Newhoff says, The paradox of this age is we've never been more connected as a culture, and we've never felt more alone. I think most of us would say that that's probably true, is we've never had the ability to connect so easily as a culture with the internet and technology, but there's more people than ever that are stuck feeling alone. What I want you to understand is that when you feel alone, when you feel lonely, that's a feeling that has literally echoed through the ages from the first crisis that happened in the Bible with Adam, when Adam felt alone. And God allowed Adam to feel alone for that brief time before he made Eve so that Adam would understand that he was not designed to be alone, but he was designed for relationship. He was designed for community. And when you, when you and I feel alone, when we feel only, that's God's reminder to us that we were not made to do life alone, but we were made to do life together in community. When this issue arose in Adam's life, God solved the issue of loneliness by creating community. Adam and Eve weren't only the first married couple to ever live, but they were also the first human community that ever existed. What I want you to see is that when God created mankind, he said, this is not good. This is not good that man should be alone. Up until that point, everything that God had created, he stepped back and he said it was good. And it wasn't until it moved from a him to a them, from Adam to Adam and Eve, that then God could not only say this is good, but this is very good. The first thing that God exalts above just being good to being very good isn't a sunset or a sunrise or a mountainscape or a beautiful ocean view, the first thing that God elevates above good to very good was the first human community. Dallas Willard is a theologian that I enjoy reading, and he was talking about this very thing, about God designing you and I for community, for relationship. And this is what he had to say. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons, 
with himself as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I'm going to read that again. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. The fact that God said it's not good that man should be alone when he created Adam and the fact that he said it's very good when Eve was introduced to the picture and they were the first community has some implications that are significant. The early church adopted the doctrine of the Trinity. This doctrine states that there is one God who exists in the loving community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe there's one God, but God's oneness is the oneness of community between these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we study Scripture, we see that God's primary attribute is love. In fact, in 1 John 4, we learn that God isn't somehow just loving, or God isn't just good at loving people, but we learn that God actually is love, that all love is literally wrapped up in who God is. So that means that God exists in a loving community, God the Father, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we read in Genesis earlier that God made mankind in his own image. But what we miss sometimes is that doesn't just mean that he made us in his image, that means that he made us in his relational image. God is a relational God. You were designed to have relationship with God and with each other. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, but maybe you've been watching a movie or, or a TV show or something like that, and you feel like emotion well up inside of you. Maybe you felt like you were going to cry, or maybe you actually did cry or something like that. Usually what's happening when that happens is you are becoming aware of a feeling in your soul that you haven't been aware of previously. Maybe for the rest of that day you weren't aware of this feeling, but all of a sudden you have a feeling in your soul that you weren't aware of. We've become very, very good at ignoring our souls. Oftentimes our souls are screaming inside, but we literally just walk through life ignoring them, pushing those feelings down, pushing them away, but our soul is screaming. And what our soul is screaming for is relationship and community. It's screaming to be restored to relationship with God, and it's screaming to be restored with, in relationship with each other. So when you watch that movie and there's some relationship that happens or something significant that happens, your soul all of a sudden comes awake for a second and it's like, hey, I'm here and I have needs and you've been ignoring me. And then you go, boy, it's like getting dusty in here or something. Like, I don't know what the problem is, right? And that's because your soul is asking for attention and it's crying out for relationship. People who, who write movies and write TV shows, they're actually more aware of this than most of us really are on, on a daily basis. Almost every TV show or movie surrounds relationship and community. Maybe you're here this morning and you're quite a bit older than me. Maybe you'll remember a show called Cheers. It was a, show, it was a famous show that revolved around a group of people that wanted to, to have community together. And the, the song that played at the beginning of the show says, you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. And that comes from our desire inside to know each other and to be known. Each one of us have that desire. Maybe you're somewhere around my age and you remember a show when we were growing up called Friends. And the show was 
a show about a community of people that lived together in an apartment complex in New York City, and their lives were like super messy, but they still loved each other, and they knew each other, and they were there for the, each other, and they had their own little community. I think part of the reason these shows become so successful is because deep inside of us, in our soul, each one of us knows we were made for community with each other and community with God. And that feeling that we feel when we watch shows or movies like that is literally the echo from Adam feeling that feeling in his soul for the first time before Eve was made. Before Adam could exist in community, he felt lonely. And God allowed him to feel that so that he could know he wasn't designed to be alone, but he was designed for relationship and community. And he allows us to feel that so we can know that we were designed for relationship and community. And maybe you're someone here who's like a little bit more introverted, like me, and you'd be like, eh, I don't know if I really need people. People are like dangerous and crazy and like, I don't know about that. But the truth is, no matter if you're introverted or extroverted, whether you enjoy a crowd of people or just a few people, it doesn't actually matter. We all want to be known and to know each other. We were all designed for community. You guys know that I would want life groups to be biblically based. And Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. So because of that, life groups are going to look a little different this year. I'm just kidding. I think Adam and Eve's nakedness had a lot more to do, it was a lot more than just their clothing choice or the lack thereof their clothing choice. I think it had to do with them feeling that they could be authentic in their relationship. They could be real in their relationship both with God and with each other. They didn't feel like they needed to cover up or be fake. So many times in our lives, we feel the need to cover up and be fake. Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I hadn't really seen this before, but here we actually see that the first consequences of sin in the book of Genesis were relational. The first consequences of sin were relational. The first consequence of sin was breaking of community. Trust and authenticity is dissolved, and shame enters the picture for the first time. And shame dissolved the relationship between the man and the woman and between them and God. And we've been struggling with shame dissolving our relationships from that day all the way until now. Do you ever feel like you need to hide from people? Adam and Eve felt like they needed to hide from each other, so they covered up with fig leaves. They felt like they needed to hide from God, so they hid in the trees. Do you ever feel like you need to hide from others? Hiding who you really are? Do you feel like you need to hide from God? I think sometimes if we're honest, we even hide from ourselves. Sometimes hiding from God or hiding from ourselves looks like busying ourselves and filling up our schedule to the point that there's not even really room for God anymore. Or getting drunk on entertainment so that we don't have to think to be present with the thoughts that we ever actually have inside. Some of us can't even stand the feeling of just having a moment without a screen to stare at and be left with ourselves. So we hide from God and we hide from ourselves. Sin has distorted God's intent for community, and now we're stuck in this weird place where on one hand, 
We crave relationship and, and community, but on the other hand, we hide from it and we run from it. And the church should be the place where relationships have the best chance of succeeding, but still we struggle relationally in the church, and relationships feel scary, and oftentimes we bring a fake version of ourselves that we hide behind. And that begs the question, is community really worth it? Is relationship really worth the effort? And the Bible says over and over and over and over again, yes, it's worth it. God hasn't changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same relational God that exists in, existed in the garden with Adam and Eve still exists here today. And he still wants relationship. And just as God stepped back and said it was very good when that first community was created, God still steps back and says it's very good when we walk in community together. The closing chapter of the Bible paints this picture very clearly. Jesus will have the community that his, heart's, his heart desires. This is in Revelation 21, verse 3. It says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he dwells with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old for the old order of things has passed away. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the picture of God's desire for community fully realized. In the beginning of the Bible, we see God's original intent for us to be in community, and at the end of, end of the Bible, we see God's dream for community fully restored. Your soul's desire for unbroken community will be satisfied. God creates human beings in his own relational image. And through Jesus, he redeems us back to that relational community. Our sins separated us from God, but those sins were bore on the cross by Jesus. And when this happened, Jesus was separated from the Father and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the first time that community had been broken between the Trinity. Unbroken oneness was broken so that in Christ, you and I could be forgiven and restored to loving community that God wanted for us. I want to leave you with one closing thought this morning. We are the church created for community. You and I are the church, and God made us for community. I want to end by just encouraging you this morning to sign up for a life group as soon as possible. One, because I want to see you respond to the word of the Lord this morning, and two, because sign, up, sign ups end in a couple days. Um, you and I were made for relationship, and we were made for community. And sometimes I would end a sermon with an altar call and give you a chance to respond and to come and receive ministry, but the altar call is going to be a little bit different this morning. The response to the altar call is actually going to be in the fellowship hall. And we're going to have a life group fair, which we've never had before, where all the life group leaders are going to be there and you're going to be able to talk to them and connect with them and hear what happens in their life group and what their life group looks like. And I want to encourage you to respond to God's design and the way that he created us by saying, God, even if relationships are challenging for me, even if I'm not good at it, even if they're messy, 
I see your design for us to be in community and relationships, and I respond. And one of the ways that we do relationships around here super specifically and intentionally is through life groups. There's lots of other places and ways that relationship can happen, but life groups are one of the ways that we say, God, we see how you made us, and we want to walk together in community. We see the power that the disciples walked in and the way that they were able to live out their faith. And I believe one of the reasons they were able to live out their faith in the way that they did was because of the community that they walked with together. And if you and I are going to be able to walk out our faith the way that God intends us to, then we too need to walk in the kind of community that they walked in, okay? So I'm actually ending the service early intentionally to give you time to go over to the Fellowship Hall and to sign up for a life group. And when you find a life group that you feel like is a good fit for you and you can sign up with, I want you to go find one of your friends and bring them back with you and say, hey, come join me in this life group so we can walk together. So life group leaders, you can go ahead and head over there, and I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, that you don't just let us do life the way that we want to, that leads to brokenness and pain, but you call us to something higher, and you call us to the type of relationships in life that you've called us to, the place that we're actually fulfilled and able to walk out the faith that you've called us to walk out. And Lord, I ask that as we enter into this season of life groups, Lord, I ask that it would be incredibly fruitful. Lord, you said in your word that where two or three gather in your name, you'll be there. And Lord, I ask that our life groups would be just like that, that you would be so excited about the community that's happening that you can't help but show up and be there. You can't show up and help but show up and heal people and set people free. Lord, I ask you to be all over everything that we're doing in this season. In your name I pray, amen. So I'm ending early to give us a little bit of time to go over there and do that. If you have kids that are downstairs in Kids Life, you can take the next five to ten minutes and go over there and sign up for a life group before you go down and pick up your kids. And the children's workers downstairs are prepared for that. So you can head over there for the altar call.